Hello, and welcome to the Woking College History Passcast. Joe, 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 Stalin? <laughs> Stalin. Stalin, do I know that name? That sounds familiar. Well, it does not ring a bell with me. <laughs> But uh, you're more plugged into that whole show business thing. Joe Stalin. You know, that's pretty good. You might want to try Joseph. <laughs> Joseph Stalin. I think you'd remember that. Oh, yes. You know, there already is a Joseph Stalin. <laughs> You're kidding. Apparently, he was this Russian dictator who slaughtered all these people. Can you, you turn that down, you please? You would have known that. That's you know, you think I would have. <laughs> What's so funny? Oh, it's just Joe. Oh, I love that guy. He's so funny. Really? Hey, you're learning about that Stalin guy, aren't you? Yes, I'm learning about that Stalin guy. I mean Joseph Stalin. All right, then. If you're so interested in him, why don't you tell me something about him? Well, he was a guy. <laughs> well done. And he was a Russian dictator who killed a lot of people. Congratulations. You've managed to recite what you just saw on the TV. You are a real expert at this Stalin guy stuff. Could you tell me something you haven't just heard of, friends? He had a moustache. Lucky, yes. Now, will you please let me carry on with my work? Thank you. No, please. I'm interested now. Honest. I really want to know about him. I mean, it can't be that hard. Just teach me something. Well, what would you like to know? Are you interested in Marxism and his stage theory of human development? The Lenin-Stalin enrollment? How Stalin changed from Tsar to Commissar? The Shishiskas? The Purges? The Kulaks? The Gulags? I mean, just take your pick, you little historian. Well? Um... Oh, cat got your tongue. I thought it was easy according to you. It can't be that hard. If you're finished wasting my time, I'd like to get back to my work, please. Wait, but I'd like to know. Uh, it's not as if I'm going to get my work done anyway now. Come here, what do you want to talk about? Oh, thank you so much. It's so kind of you. I promise I'll... All right, all right. The first thing I have to teach you is to listen. Quiet. Now, what would you like to know about? Whatever you're doing at the moment, I guess. The pur purges? Sounds like some Norwegian rock band. <laughs> okay, I guess uh, that's not funny. I don't think you want to know about them. They're not very nice. Why don't you just choose a power struggle, or something nicer, like industry? Oh, come on, you've got to tell me now, please. Okay, well, if I'm going to tell you about this properly, I'd better give you a little bit of information about how the purges came about. I guess, i better get comfortable then. During World War One, the Russian Communist Party revolted against the autocratic system of the Tsar. And the Tsar is? I know that! It's like that king person of Russia, right? See, you do know a bit of history. Many people joined the party after the Civil War, including people from the rival political parties, like the Mensheviks. However, not all the members in the Bolsheviks were true supporters. Trotsky called them radishes. Yeah, great insult. It wasn't an insult, it was a nickname. Because they were red on the outside, red being the colour of the Bolsheviks, but white on the inside, white being the colour of the Mensheviks. 
still could have come up with something better than that. Yeah, anyway. Shiska evolved as a result of these internal problems. Shiska Bob? No, Shiska, a non-violent removal of party members. That doesn't sound so bad. Yes. There are three stages of Shiskas, starting in 1921, after the Bolsheviks won the Civil War and had not obtained absolute power. To consolidate this, they searched a party for radishes, as Trotsky called them, which resulted in the removal of 25% of the party. Oh, that's a great idea, getting rid of your party members. That great. Actually, it was a good idea, because it allowed them to enrol more loyal party members, people they could trust. This was called the Lenin Enrollment. This enrollment, in collaboration with the NEP, which was the New Economic Policy, brought about expansion and unification. On the other hand, it also resulted in some capitalist elements being in the party and in turn a class war inside the party. So, what? Wait, um, I thought this was the Communist Party. Yes, it was supposed to be, but it never truly was. They manipulated Marxist ideology for its own need and made Leninism. Oh. Okay then, let me get this straight. They said they were communists, but in reality they just adapted it for their own needs? Yep. So that was it then? It wasn't as bad as you said it was. No, that was the first Shiska. He was just getting started. The second Shiska took place in 1928 to 1930. This was carried out by the local officials all around the country to get rid of the rich people who had been made during the NEP. But that was their idea, right? It had been under Lenin, but in 1929, Stalin became leader of Russia after a power struggle lasting five years. He crushed his political enemies, reducing their power or even removing them from the party. For example, Trotsky and Zinoviev. But this brought about problems. Stalin did not like the NEP and the peasants who had gotten rich from it, because he thought it defied communism. In total, 11% of the party members were removed due to either being NEP men or sympathising with them. However, this caused mass discontent, resulting in a third Shiska in 1933. It lasted two years and was carried out by the Party Control Committee. It reviewed all members of the party. By 1935, 20% more of the party members were excluded for not meeting requirements, proving the most successful of the Shiskas. So, what was that? Some kind of Shiska test they had to pass? No, but according to a source by Cravencho, they did not meet requirements. The Commission members sat behind a red draped table on a platform decorated with portraits of Politburo members and slogans. A bust of Stalin, banked with flowers, held the most prominent position. The Communist, to be examined, was called to the platform. He handed over his party to the chairman and began a recital of his life history. It was a political and spiritual strip act. It was always better to bring up errors yourself. Concealing anything from the party compounded the gravity of the crime concealed. After the confessional, the purgy was questioned by the member of the commission and by people in the audience. He was reminded of his own omissions and tricked into contradictions. Comrades spoke up in his favour or against him. Wow, that was a long process. After cleaning the party, they allowed admissions again. The Shiskas seemed to have brought out some mild success in relatively peaceful years. So they weren't that bad? At the moment, no. But you remember when I said Stalin came to power in 1929? Yeah, of course, I'm not that dumb. Well, we're starting King the Purges. This was triggered by the Kirov affair. I'm guessing you don't know who Kirov is. Were you taught anything in school? Yeah, of course I was. I do maths and English, and I can analyse a painting and... Uh, those sound extremely useful in this situation. As I was saying, Kirov was a fellow politician alongside Stalin. On January 1934, during the 17th Party Congress, divisions started to surface between Stalin, who wanted to maintain the economic pace within Russia, and those who felt that the pace should be reduced to give workers some reward as their economic groundwork had been achieved. It would be so much easier if they could just agree on something for once. Well, that's politics for you. So what was to be done? Enter Sergei Kirov. 
Kirov went on to make a speech talking about the stopping of forcible seizure of grain and Stalin's great surprise and dismay. Kirov received a standing ovation lasting as long as Stalin's. Stalin's power at this point was potentially threatened. His title of General Secretary was taken away. Instead, both Stalin and Kirov were given equal title of Secretary of equal rank. Stalin was no longer secure as leader, and as you can guess, Stalin did not like the idea of sharing his power with anyone. He didn't work with Kirov? No. On December 1st, Kirov arrived at the Smolny Institute to work in his office, apparently leaving his bodyguards downstairs. Oh, I don't like the way this is headed. Upon heading to the upper floors, Leonardo Nikolaev emerged from a bathroom and followed Kirov to his office and shot him in the back of the neck. Nice. This assassination seemed to fall back on Stalin as he was the one with the most to gain from his death, but Stalin claimed that the killer Nikolaev was part of a larger conspiracy theory led by Leon Trotsky against the Soviet government. It was unclear whether he was assassinated by Stalin or not. Where CCTV cameras when you need them? He took every opportunity to revert the blame off himself. Within two hours, Stalin had drafted the laws allowing arrest and sentencing without trial. But don't laws take like weeks or months to draft? Exactly. So it was planned then. It does seem to give that impression, doesn't it? I started to get an idea about this, about who Stalin was now, not that Stalin guy. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm definitely getting an idea of who he was, and I'm not exactly liking him. The important thing you have to remember at this point is Stalin desired power so much that it resulted in him becoming severely paranoid. It had even been reported that curtains in any room he was staying had to be cut a foot or two up from the bottom so he could see clearly that no one was hiding behind them. Sounds like a weirdo. Well, anyone who became leader, especially of a country as large as Russia, had to be very careful and wary of possible threats or assassination attempts. I mean, look what happens at Kirov. Point taken. A culmination of Stalin's first of power, his paranoia and the December laws led to the post-Kirov affair in 1934 to 1936. Stalin used the murder of Kirov as a pretext for further purges, stating that this was evidence of further conspiracies. Within a few weeks, there were widespread purges through Kirov's base, the Leningrad Party. Wait, wait, exactly a purge? What is it? A purge, unlike a schister, is a violent removal. Violence was a key factor that Stalin used to consolidate his power. Of the 1,996 delegates who attended the 1934 Party Congress, 1,108 of them were executed in the next few years. Stalin found out that there had been communications between Trotsky and members of the opposition groups in the party. This sparked fear in Stalin, who in response sent out a Central Committee circular in 1936 on the terrorist activities of the Trotskyite counter-revolutionary bloc, stating that the inalienable quality of every Bolshevik under present conditions should be the ability to recognise an enemy of the people, no matter how well he may be masked. He believed this would protect him. So Stalin thinks that there are people within the party who are terrorists, isn't that going to make the party members scared? Well, that was the purpose. Stalin's control was getting even stronger. And what do you think Stalin did to those terrorists within the party? He got rid of them? Killed them? In 1936, the show trials began. In August, Zinoviev, Kamenev and 14 others were put on trial for collaborating with Trotsky in a plot to kill Stalin. 14 confessed under the belief that they would stay alive in return. These included Rykov, Tomsky, Pitakov and Bukharin. As you can guess, they did not stay alive for long. They were all shot later. Kamenev and Zinoviev had to admit to ridiculous crimes, such as meeting with Trotsky in a hotel in Denmark and conspiring to overthrow Stalin. But there was one small point that proved this very problematic. The hotel had actually been demolished 20 years before. What? then it's completely impossible for it to have happened. Of course it was. These ridiculous accusations were irrelevant for it to be executed one way or another. Apparently Zinoviev became so hysterical in his cell that the executioner panicked and shot him right there. Oh, that's horrible. 
even worse, instead of Stalin decided to have this little scene reenacted when Zinoviev begged with his executioner for his own pleasure. There are two other show trials that managed to eradicate Pitakov, Rykov, Yudgoda and Bukharin. Amongst the other crimes they admitted to poisoning over 30,000 horses. Horses? That's an imaginative crime. So why did they confess then? Surely if you're going to die you'd want to keep your dignity. Well, it's a little more complicated than that. There were many reasons to why they confessed. They may have been tortured in order to sign confessions, or they signed in order to protect their families. Or there's another reason which could be they were dying for the party, as they believe that through their death, communism would become stronger. Dying for what you believe in, and braver them. So the show trials ended at all. That's a lot of deaths. But it's not the end. In 1936, the ex-head of the NKVD, Yugoda, was replaced by Yezov. This is due to Stalin saying that Yugoda was not finding enemies quick enough. This is the first step in the last and final purge. In February 1937, the Central Committee had an 11-day meeting saying how the previous Shishkas and purges had been successful. Stalin, however, was sceptical of this, believing they were protecting others in the party from criticism. Party members were encouraged to denounce each other and families were encouraged to denounce other members of their own families. So you couldn't even tell your brother, or your sister, anything, in case they turned you into the police? Ugh, that would be frightening. You could be taken without any warning by the secret police because your best friend turned you in. Terrifying. Yeah, it would have been. People would unmask anti-communist elements in the party. Usually this happens to people above their rank. So they just called them counter-revolutionists so they could get their jobs? Precisely. Precisely, arrests reached 1.5 million, executions rose to around 700,000 people in the years 1937 and 1938 alone. This was partially due to the unmasking by co-workers, but also by the NKVD. The Politburo set targets for them during the years of Shishina. There were to be a quarter of a million arrests and 28% of these people were to be shot. They were also given position to torture these captives. Why do they do that? Wouldn't that just make them arrest anybody? Yes, again that was the idea. It gave the impression that Stalin was controlling the counter-revolutionaries with an iron fist and therefore nobody would revolt against him. So he destroyed the party yet again. Yes, he did, but that's not it. He then attacked the Russian army using the NKVD. Marshal Tukhovsky. Marshal Tukhovsky? Yes, he had been a hero during the Civil War, but during the Yezovshina he was tortured and confessed to crimes against Russia and alliances with Germany. When you say confessed, what do you mean? Well, he wrote a testament, but it was splattered with blood. Anyway, the result of these purges was that by December 1938, 60% of the marshals and senior officers had been removed from the party. So Stalin destroyed his own army? That's not a very clever idea. What about wars? Yes, that is one explanation, but some historians think that it was a clever move by Stalin. After the purge, Stalin did not replace some of the people who removed, up to 50% of them. This may have been due to fear that the Red Army was going to revolt against him. However, if this was the case, then it failed. In November 1939, Russia went to war with Finland in a war called the Winter War. Despite having four times as many soldiers as the Finns, 30 times as many aircraft and 218 times as many tanks, the Finnish army managed to hold out until March 1940 where a Moscow peace treaty was signed between them. This is an embarrassing defeat. Russia lost over 200,000 soldiers. This could be blamed on the fact that many of the generals were incredibly inexperienced. But some people must have seen this was a lie. You said nearly 700,000 people executed in 1937-1938. If that happened now, because they wanted to improve nuclear power or something in Britain, people would say they were lying. In Russia, some people did see through it. This is where the terror aspect was employed. The police, the secret police, or the NKVD, and the army used to deal with this. 
What happened to them? I doubt Starling would be very legitimate about this either. No, he wasn't. People were forcibly sent to gulags. The conditions were terrible, with thousands dying because of the weather. But this is all to an aim. It helped Stalin to control Russia. So, hang on. The Communist Party gained control of Russia, but had a radish problem because people joined for benefits, not for communism. They solved this in a shiska in 1921, which got rid of 25% of the party, and then the Lenin enrollment was used to replace these people. Right? Yep, that's good. Thanks. Then there were the second shiskas in 1928, carried out by the local communists to remove the Neepman, sorry, NEPman as you like to call it, and Kulaks. But this wasn't so good because they covered for their friends. This led to the third one, where the Politburo stopped all membership and reviewed all the communists in the party, removing about 20%? Yeah, 20%. Thanks. 20% of the party by 1935. Then the politician, Sergei Kirov, was assassinated in December 1934, and this led to the violent removal of party members in 1934 and 1936. This culminated in the show trials towards the end of 1936, where lots of the old politicians, such as Kamenev, Zinoviev, Mukharin, I think I've got them right, were killed. In February 1937, the Politburo had a meeting in which Stalin believed they were hiding more facts from him. This led to the last purge. Yezov Shashina, where the party and people on the army were removed, or would you like to call it, purged. Around 1.5 million people were arrested and 700,000 were killed in just 1937-38. Then the army was purged, with 60% of high commanders being removed and up to 50% not being replaced. This led to problems in wars such as against Finland and later in World War II. However, this may have been a clever move by Starling, as he thought they were going to be an army coup, but it led to severe weaknesses. The shiskas and purges had a large effect on all aspects of living with large amounts of people, being executed and put in gulags, and these people were blamed for all the bad things that happened in Russia, such as war defeats and agriculture and industrial failures. Am I right? Yeah. Thanks. You've got it, you know it. Of course, there is more that can be concluded from this, such as were the purges successful? Did they help Stalin gain control, or was the damage that they caused more of a problem than they solved? Oh, I'll have to think about that one. Do you feel like a historian now? Yeah, but that's enough history for a long, long time. It was going well to you said that. A more intelligent thing to say would be a quote from Woody Allen. Eternity is a long time, especially towards the end. I don't get it. Never mind. Just go and watch TV or let me get my work done. Nah, listen to iPod, but I'll leave you to it. Thank you for listening to Woking College's Pastcast by the History Department. This was presented by Hannah and Joe and was recorded at City University London. Thank you for listening to the Woking College History Pastcast. If you'd like more information about Woking College, please go to www.woking.ac.uk. Thank you.